Hello, and welcome to Inside the Cylinder. This is episode five of the season, 97 overall, getting close to 100. Uh, I am a co-host, Matt Way, writer for the Detroit Bad Boys. Um, You can follow me on Twitter at W-A-Y-M-A-T-T-H, and I'm joined, as always, by David Fernandez. David, what's going on? Not much, um, you know, watching, I guess one thing I will say, I'm happy that we are done playing the Bucks for the rest of this season, because uh, that, that was a slog, um, but uh, yeah, nothing else, man, you know, just trying to keep up with everything that's going on in the NBA in total, and then also, obviously, all these little micro stories that we have going on with the Pistons, but um, I did want to note, you and I were right, the Pistons did win one game last week. Um, they did. It was, against the, it was against the Suns. Didn't fare too well against <laughs> the old Utah Jazz. That Suns game was awesome, though. That was one of the most enjoyable games of the season. I will say that. Yeah, I think those rare kind of wins against good teams, and I guess we don't know exactly how good Phoenix is probably at this point, but those uh, those rare wins uh, against those teams are going to be going to be extra fun this year. I think. I hope we can get one against the Bucks. Definitely. Well, I think we're done playing the Bucks. I think we only have three games against them. Oh, you you might be right. That, that's that's good. I'll tell you, I was writing the the game recap of the third game the other night, and I I, I was figuring out what what to what to type. And at one point, I just said, "Can we please stop playing the Bucks like ten times over and over again?" It was it was a pretty pretty brutal stretch in ten days to have three games against them. I tweeted this out last night uh, when we were, when Detroit was playing the Bucks, and uh, they and I understand why they lose during the playoffs. Like I get it, you know, you see what happens. You see them start to uh, sort of fail in the half court. Um, like the wall has been really effective against Giannis. But then I, I see that and I understand that and I process that. And then I see them play the Pistons, and I know the Pistons are not a good team. They haven't been for a really long time. But they're still a professional basketball team, and they've beaten other really good teams, even when they haven't been a great team in general. And the Bucks just look unstoppable when they play us. Like it literally doesn't. They they don't seem to miss a single three. Brooke Lopez is bombing them. I mean, even in the playoffs, Eric Bledsoe was just destroying the, the Pistons. So it's just something about that team is just very much the kryptonite to the Detroit Pistons. Um, you know, this rendition and then the previous renditions from previous seasons, but. Uh, yeah, I'm certainly glad that that those that series is over at least for the rest of this season. Yeah, they're they're a rough matchup for us. Um, even I, I do think it seemed to me they played them better this year than they they have in the past couple of years. Um, they they didn't at least lose by thirty, um, and it looked a little harder. But you, you watch them, gosh, I, I mean the whole team looked scared to finish around the rim because they just knew either Giannis or Brooke Lopez was coming to swat the shot. Like every single time it, it was it that, that, that sort of thing you would expect to hold up a little better in the playoffs, but I guess uh, we'll see. I think this might be the best iteration um, come playoff time for the, for the Bucks. You're um, right. And I, and I will say shout out Saban Lee for going for it. Um, but uh, yeah, should we get into our first topic of, of the old at uh, five? Yeah, absolutely. So, David, um, this last game against the Bucks, Seku actually did not play at all. Um, coach's decision, 
prior to that, he had played only 10 total minutes for the previous two games. Um, what, what's going on with this, David? What, what do you think, uh, why, why do you think this is, is going, is happening? And, um, what do you think, uh, the Pistons need to do moving forward with Seku? So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of perplexed just because this team is really, really bad. We're going to get into it a little bit later, but they're last in the league. They're two and nine. They don't have any reasons to not, I guess, put their, their young players out on the floor and let them figure it out a little bit. It's kind of tough for Siku. He's averaging 11 minutes per game. Um, he's only, he's not played particularly well. He's shooting the ball well from three, but overall he's only shooting 33% from the floor. So I do understand it. Like he isn't, he hasn't necessarily played spectacularly uh, throughout this season. If you kind of just look at all of his minutes in totality, but it's really tough, especially for a t- young 20 year old who just turned 20. Um, like, wait, or is he 19? Sorry. I have to look he, he turned 20 uh, in December, I think. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So he just turned 20 and it's really tough for a player to try and find their rhythm, you know, halfway through the second quarter when they get a five minute stint. And then all of a sudden they either may or may not return to the game. So I don't necessarily understand it. Like either why he's not playing in totality, like we saw on Wednesday. And then um, why, you know, when he does play in some of these games, he's only getting five minutes here, 10 minutes there. He's really not giving get, getting the shot to, um, I don't know, stick on the floor, stay on the floor, because it's really it's hard for a vet to come off the bench and play for five minutes and try to be productive, let alone a 20-year-old. So I don't really understand it from a high-level perspective. I don't really understand it from like an in-game perspective either, because it's just not necessarily helping you win games. It's not necessarily helping you win possessions. So... Yeah, I mean, it's just been perplexed. That's what I have been over the course of like the last week or so with Siku. Um, I don't know. What have your thoughts been just kind of looking over everything? Um, I, I've i been confused as well. Um, I I get that. I, I think last one of the last couple episodes I said, you know, I, I see him as kind of a 10 to 15 minute per game type of guy right now. Um, but he's not even really getting that. So I, I understand that you got Blake Griffin and, and Jeremy Grant ahead of him. Um, I, I think you just, I, I would, I would hope you want to get, you know, find ways um, to get him in the game. And and we did see Dwayne Casey, I think today, and we're recording on Thursday, the 14th. I, I, I do think that um, or I'm, I'm sorry, Dwayne Casey did say something to the effect um, that, you know, we, we do need to get him more opportunities, whether we're playing more zone, um, which was an interesting comment, or um, we play him at the three. I, I don't think Seku's future is at the three, but if it gets him on the floor for some minutes, um, I, I think that's a, a, a good plan. I, I almost wonder if part of the hesitancy is, is that they, they do want to keep him on the floor for the minutes um, or at the position that, and, and the role that he's, he's going to play moving forward. They don't want to confuse maybe his development. And I wonder if that maybe is, is playing a factor. Um, But 
I, I don't know. I, I haven't, I, I have no doubt that there's a plan like doing Casey's not just pressing buttons. Um, but I have not been able to figure out for the life of me what that plan is. Yeah. And it's kind of confusing when the head coach is like, we need to find a way to get him on the floor. It's like, dude, you are in charge of who plays. <laughs> so if anyone's going to have to find a way to get him on the floor, it's you. You're in control of that situation. So the messaging just been has been really strange because uh, a few days ago during the press conferences, he had said something along the lines like you just said. You know, we're not trying to have him play two positions right now. We're trying just to have him focus on his role. Um, we don't want to overload him with, you know, the the – the amount that you need to know to be able to successfully play two positions in this league. Um, but now he's saying, you know, well, maybe we do need to see him at the three. So that, that messaging has been confusing for sure. And then also what he said is that he's been buried behind guys. Um, this is Dwayne Casey. He's been buried behind Blake Griffin, who's played really poorly this season. Um, and Sadiq Bay, who's played really well this season. Um, but it, that also hasn't necessarily rang true either. And uh, Ku Khalil, who is a fellow writer over at Detroit Bad Boys, had a tweet earlier this week that just kind of put this into context. Um, so I'm just going to just repeat what Ku had tweeted. Game three of the season, Blake is out, translates to a whole 10 minutes of play for Siku. Game five, Blake sits out, translates to a whole 10 minutes of play for Siku. And then eventually in game seven, this is me talking now, um, Blake sat and then Siku played 23 minutes. But it's not necessarily like in, in game three and game five, it clearly wasn't that Siku was buried behind Blake Griffin and Sadiq Bey because Blake Griffin didn't play in two of those games. So I guess just like the overall messaging has been really confusing and it hasn't been consistent. So I think that's what leads to myself, you, and a lot of the fans right now being very confused about what's going on and what the game plan is, because right now it just doesn't seem like there is one. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting. And, and I, you know, I think we should be fair to the coaching staff and, and everyone and, and saying that it, it isn't like the Dwayne Casey is just burying all of the, the young guys on the bench. Um, Isaiah Stewart's starting to get, quite a few minutes. Um, he got some, he, he's had some important fourth quarter, I, I guess as important as, as the Piston season goes this year, but um, close, close game fourth quarter minutes um, recently and over the past week or so. Um, Sadiq Bay is obviously getting plenty of playing time. So it, you know, it, it's not that they're just not not playing any of the young guys, um, which is encouraging to me, and I guess goes to kind of my big question to you, David. Like, what is what's the significance of this right now um, as we sit here today? Um, I, are we ten? I think we're ten games in. Um, do you think this is this is something or this is nothing? Um, you know, I, I want to say that this is more something than nothing just because they were, as you said, I think 11 games into the season now, but the fact that we are 11 games into the season, it is a shortened schedule and we still haven't necessarily found that sort of rhythm where he is going to get some significant minutes is important. I do think you brought up a really good point that they aren't just burying all the young guys. A lot of these guys are playing um, some significant minutes consistently. So that is good. 
Um, but you know, with with Siku, I guess with him, he had just come out of the scene last season so impressively that there's clearly something there there. And it's hard for anyone to know what that could turn into, you know, what his uh, uh, you know, what he's able to do on the floor unless he's actually playing. So it does concern me, especially since we don't have the Pistons don't have a G League team this year, that he isn't getting any like real game action. And you know, just to see the coaching staff sort of think out loud about like, well, we need to, I don't necessarily know how we're going to do it, but we need to f- figure out a way j- is concerning to me because it's like, okay, when are we going to start to figure this out? And let's say that you do start to play him more minutes, but it requires tinkering. It's not going to be like, just like a, all right, here's what we're going to do. And this is going to be successful. And this guy's going to play. And then everyone's going to be happy. It's like, well, no, clearly you're going to have to sort of figure it out. And at what point do we finally hit that sort of rhythm to where hopefully he is being put into the best position he can be? Um, because even though he is young, you do hope you, you want to see some sort of growth out of a young player. And right now we haven't seen that from uh, season one to season two. Yeah. Uh, those, I think you make a lot of good points there. I'm going to um, go to the contrary and say that it's actually more nothing than something. Um, and it's simply because we're only 11 games in. If, you know, tw- if I guess if we get to the middle of a season, and we'll, I know we'll talk about that um, in a little bit, um, but, you know, if we're 30 games in, 40 games in, and we're still seeing this pattern with, with Seku, then it becomes something for sure. Um, right now, I'm not super worried. Um, and... and a big part of that, I think, is just that, you know, this team is two to three years off from from doing anything real. Um, so so there's there's a ton of time still. Um, I, I do think we need to be patient um, if you're a Pistons fan. Um, it's 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 a long haul. It really is. And we'll we'll just we'll just have to see. Um, so I'm I'm willing to give the coaching staff and Dwayne Casey, uh, the benefit of the doubt for now. Um, but, you know, if we're, if we're at the same point in, you know, a couple months, then I, I think we need to start kind of hitting the panic button a little bit and thinking that maybe there's something else at play here that, that we need to address. For sure. And I guess in, in that vein, I haven't been angrily tweeting, you know, at, at beat writers about Siku. So I'm, I'm not at the point where I'm hitting the panic button by any means. It's just something where, you know, over the last three games, 10 minutes in the, in, you know, three or 10 minutes over two games and then a DNP. It's just, okay, like, uh, I guess that my, my meter's ticking a little bit more up, but at the same point, I'm still not setting my house on fire by any means. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and I, I did want to just point out real quick that um, the other thing that Dwayne Casey said, I believe today, which was um, a little encouraging to me, was that he he had basically discussed with Seku about not um, not playing last night. And, you know, they, he understood and he was working hard, something something to that effect. Um, so. If if he's communicating that with Seku, I think that that goes a long way. Um, if if a player can see kind of what the long term plan is, for sure. And this is a staff with uh, Dwayne Casey and Sean Sweeney that 
you know, is and Troy Weaver too, where player development is a big part of their DNA. So there is an element where I'm just trusting the process and, you know, he is young. He's got a lot of time left with this team, hopefully. So let's just uh, hope that things start to uh, materialize on the floor uh, here soon. Um, but yeah, I did want to bring up, uh, you know, moving on to our next topic, or unless you had anything else on Siku, Matt. No, I think that covers it. All righty. Um, so Killian Hayes, uh, his injury is worse than we thought last week when we recorded. Um, so apologies from the ITC family here for reading in a little too heavily into a, uh, injury report, uh, which was clearly not, um, or at least just not as trustworthy for us to be able to, uh, record a podcast following that. So, uh, Apologies there. Won't happen again. We will be more patient next time. But uh, you already know this news, I'm sure, if you're listening to this podcast. He suffered a torn labrum in his right hip. The options are surgery or rehab. And still at this point, it doesn't seem like they've decided which path they're going to go down. Um, Killian Hayes has been at uh, some of the games recently. um, And he's clearly walking with a little bit of a limp. But he's not, you know, fully in... Uh, you know, a wheelchair. He's not in crutches or anything like that. So I don't necessarily know if that means that they're just going to wait it out and, and possibly do the rehab strategy. But I've been looking up for updates from the beat writers, from these press conferences, and there hasn't been any news about what their plan is moving forward. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I guess, you know, for just in general here, I, what are your thoughts, you know, I guess following all of the news now that we've had time to digest the Killian Hayes injury. Um, do you have any idea of, or, or any thoughts about what the Pistons should do? Or um, is that just kind of an area where you don't want to really go down since you're not a doctor? <coughs> um, yeah, I, I am certainly not a doctor. Um, <clears throat> the, I guess the, the only thing that I would say from just a common sense standpoint is the more that we don't hear anything, the more you think that he's probably rehabbing it. And if, if the medical staff is doing their job, you would, you would tend to think that a, if if they're going to rehab it, that it's maybe a more minor injury, uh, more minor tear. Um, If it was a severe tear, you would think that they would, have probably already opted for surgery and just, you know, reset the button, um, on that. Um, so that's, I guess that's just my general sense. Um, but again, I guess we, I don't want to speculate too much after we got burned last time, less lesson learned there. Um, but it's, uh, you know, they, they, they definitely need to be, take a slow approach with it. Um, Killian is, you know, he, you want him to be a building block on this team, who knows whether that will happen, but you certainly don't want an injury um, and, and a mishandling of an injury to to affect that. If, if he's not going to work out, you want it to be because of what he he's done on the court. Um, with that said, what do you see as the plan, David, for the Pistons' rotation moving forward without Killian? We've, we've seen DeLon Wright going into the starting role. We've seen some minutes from Saban Lee, some minutes from Frank Jackson. Um, what, are your, what are your overall thoughts on what to do at the point guard position? 
it's pretty bleak at the point guard position right now. Not going to lie. Um, it is very uninspiring and unentertaining. Um, so Talon Wright is, uh, yeah, he's been thrusted into the starting lineup. Uh, it hasn't gone well. He's shooting 38% from the floor. In terms of net rating, the Pistons are 7.5 points per 100 possessions better with Delon Wright off the floor than when he is on the floor. So uh, I'm getting to the point, Matt, where I'm, you know, I don't know how much longer I can stomach heavy Delon Wright minutes, kind of like uh, how, how I've mentioned Jaleel Okafor on previous episodes. But it really just seems like the Pistons are, you know, up the creek without a paddle, honestly. Just because they don't have you – know, Frank Jackson is a serviceable sort of like third-string point guard type of guy. He kind of plays out of position. He's kind of like a combo guard. Saban Lee, I, he's fun and he's entertaining to watch. He's all energy. I gave him a shout-out earlier on this podcast for trying to posterize Brooke Lopez when he had absolutely no opportunity to do so. Um, he's a lot of fun to watch, but he's also – very much, very, very raw and, and very nervous at times. And it, it, it's fun and it's endearing to watch. But just in general from the point guard position, honestly, I think the Pistons' best route moving forward, I don't necessarily know if that means that Derrick Rose gets into the starting lineup. But um, more Derrick Rose minutes, he seems to be by far the most capable point guard that the Pistons have on this roster right now. So, but yeah, in, in totality, it's just a bleak situation in my opinion. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, and, you know, the one thing with DeLon, right, is I thought his best minutes this season have come with Derrick Rose, actually. They have this weird – it's this weird thing where, you know, they both like to kind of dribble the, the air out of the ball. Um but when they're on the floor together, they can't both do it. So the the ball the ball somehow seems to move a little better when they're both on the floor as opposed to just one of them. Um, that might be just you know something that's just fooling my eye. But that's just kind of something that I've, I've I remember thinking um, watching those minutes. Um, I I would like to see a little more savingly. You know he he is fun to watch at least. Um, you know and you you want to see what you got with him. Um, I should say he's fun to watch until he shoots the ball because I, I think he's maybe only taken one three, but it was it, it's pretty it's pretty rough to to look at his his shooting stroke. He uh, he's got a lot of strides uh, to to go there. Um, and Frank Jackson, like you said, he's he he is what he is. I, I don't I don't think he's you know a reclamation project really at all. Um, but I I'll tell you the one thing that I I, I hope Dwayne Casey at least experiments with is just throwing Svi in the in the starting lineup instead of DeLon Wright. Um, you're not going to have, uh, you know, a, a lead ball handler, but, you know, maybe you just go to some more motion offense with um, Sadiq and, and um, Svi and <clears throat> Jeremy Grant. Um, you know, maybe you even move Blake Griffin to the, to the bench um, to – kind of allow that to happen a little better. There, there's going to be some struggles probably with turnovers. Um, but I would like to see Svi and and Sadiq and Jer- and Josh Jackson and Jeremy Grant in, in that type of motion offense a little more often. Definitely. I, I mean, you wouldn't have a sort of ball stopper. With with DeLon Wright, what happens with him sometimes, he, he just 
dribbles, 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 and then he he winds up somewhere, and then he doesn't know necessarily what to do. So he'll force up a bad shot, or he'll put his teammates in a bad position with a you know a forced shot at the end of the a shot clock or something like that. With Blake, you know, we have already already seen it. He's had mostly bad games. He's had a couple okay-ish games so far this season, but he's just he's just kind of turned into a ball stopper himself and hasn't necessarily given all the effort that you'd expect for a guy that uh, is of his caliber, to be honest. So I would certainly like that. I don't think that they'll, I I'm still would be very, very surprised if this team has ever, ever decides to pull, um, to put Blake Griffin on the bench um, and, to, and to bring him off the bench. Uh, so I don't necessarily see that happening, but I would be, Welcome to it. You know, everything that you just said, Svi is actually a pretty capable ball handler when it comes to just like bringing the ball up the floor. Um, you know, he's not going to break guys off the dribble, but if that was, uh, uh, I think that certainly would be more entertaining from a fan perspective to see those guys run a motion offense. And there would be enough shooting in theory to make that uh, a semi um, respectable offense. So I, I'd be all there for it, but I, I guess I just don't necessarily see Blake coming off the bench, at least right now, because right now he's still playing quite a bit of minutes a game. Um, one of the league, or team leaders when he is playing in in a game and not resting. So I don't necessarily see it, but I would be a, I'd be all for it. Yeah, I, I don't think that it would happen. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe what happens is he gets pulled a little earlier. You know, he's the first guy um, onto the bench or or something like that. Um, I, I you don't we don't know what. The talks have been like between Blake and and Dwayne Casey and Troy Weaver, um, and and I think you know, and I think this is an important point is, you know, the Troy Weaver's all talked a lot about you know building a cult, building a culture, excuse me, um, <clears throat> getting just good people who are going to work super hard, and and Blake has been nothing but but great, um, I, I think as. Um, for, for a veteran who's in the situation that he's into, not really something he signed up for when he got traded. Um, and I, I don't know that you want to, you know, start that type of culture with, with benching a guy like that um, or, or just, just not playing him. I've, I've seen, I've seen some suggestions of that. Um, you know, I, there's, there's other routes you can go um, if, if you're going to do that, but I, I don't, I don't think you want to just, just bury, um, a guy like Blake Griffin on the on the bench, um, it's it's not a good way to start a, a new administration, I don't think. Yeah, and I think some people get a little bit of tunnel vision. Like they see it as, "Hey, Blake hasn't played well, so he shouldn't be playing." Um, but I think if you were to put him on the bench or to uh, you know bring him off the bench, uh, just in general, if you were to not play him consistently. I think that would come to like a huge shock to a lot of the younger guys on that roster. Uh, Siku, Sadiq Bey, a lot of the guys that you can kind of tell already look up to him. Um, So I think that would actually probably have like a negative when it comes to like their development. Yeah, they might be, they'd be able to play more, but I just, in general, I think just like the whole mojo of the team would be like, oh my God, we're actually doing this. And then all of a sudden, um, I don't know, it, it would put more pressure on them. It would, um, I just think it would be kind of just jawing to them, just for them to uh, 
to go through that. And, you know, I think that they wouldn't necessarily want that themselves, especially seeing that Detroit is the reason that Blake Griffin is in his current state. Yeah, he has had some some injuries and he has had injuries before he got to Detroit, but the amount that they rode him uh, that season where they made it to the playoffs, I want to say 2018, 2019, um, was frankly unacceptable. And, and it certainly led to the current iteration of Blake Griffin that we're seeing now. So, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess that's really all I have on the whole Killian Hayes situation. You got anything else there, Matt? No, I, I think that that covers it pretty well there. Well, if you want to, so I know that you have a weekly piece that's coming out, the closeout, where you're sort of doing more of like a game film breakdown of what you've noticed from Detroit in the past week and then over the course of this season. Um, the most recent one has been, um, it's titled An Analysis of Defensive Breakdowns and Why the Pistons Give Up So Many Open Threes. Do you want to share a little bit more with the people about you know what your findings are and just that that sort of piece in general? Sure, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, I guess just for background on how I think when I when I write a piece is I I, I take a lot of notes when when games go on. Um, I'll, I'll notice some some trends and then I'll kind of go back and and watch um, the film on those those trends based on my notes. And I found myself writing a lot. Um, you know, this person nailed a, a wide open three and I have no idea. Like it was so open. I have no idea what happened um, because I, I wasn't, I wasn't watching some of the, the off ball action that led to it. Um, so I, I started to do that and I, I started to dig into the numbers, um, which is the way I like to really kind of think about basketball. I think numbers are important, but the film should lead you to the numbers and then you can kind of, you know, come to a conclusion combining the two. So I started looking at, um, you know, about a week's worth of made threes from, from opponents. And it was just very obvious that the Pistons, there, there was just, they were just a mess. They, they have been a mess. They continue to be a mess um, defending the three-point line. Um, one of the things I mentioned that's important, I think, to, to know in terms of three-point defense is, is that, you know, the research really supports that you, you want to def- – the way you defend the three-point line is to prevent opponents from shooting three-pointers. Point, three um, it's, it's not something – you know, at, at a certain level, you don't, have, you, don't, you don't have complete control over whether the shot's going to go in, right? But, but you can control oftentimes if they shoot the shot. Um, so they, the, the Pistons have just been really bad at preventing – three point attempts. Um, I, I don't have my piece in front of me, but I, I know right now Pistons opponents are shooting um, the, the fourth highest percentage of their shots that are three pointers. Um, yeah. They're, they're shooting they're 38 a game against Detroit, which is. Yeah. Yeah. Which is 40. So 44% <laughs> of opponent shots are, are from the three point line. Um which is kind of a, a jarring number even in this era. So the a couple of the things I noticed, um, you know, Blake Griffin is obviously a problem um, when it comes to this. Um, and you would you would expect to find that that, that your guards are, are a bigger problem, right? But you know, when when the 
especially in today's game when there's a lot of screens and a lot of moving um, and, you know, three point shooters are coming from all different angles, like your, your forwards and your centers, they, they have to be helpful and they have to be able to move um, to, to help you out, to help your guards out in terms of your rotations. And Blake Griffin's lack of mobility right now is really just killing the Pistons defense. Um, they're, they're having to cover just ground that they shouldn't have to cover. Um, you know, I think one of the more egregious ones, if you read the the piece, is Cam Johnson hit hit a big three in the the Suns game. Um, I think to go up three or, or maybe a little more late late in the game, and you know Blake was originally on Cam Johnson on one side of the floor. Um, Johnson just kind of ran around the perimeter. He didn't even he wasn't even sprinting. He just you know it was just a, a regular jog. Um, to, to the other side of the floor and Blake did not even attempt to guard him. Um, and I saw that. He's just kind of pointing. Just, like, you yeah. got him. You got him. And like some uncalled switch, essentially. He's like, no, I'll take this guy who's closer to me. It was really poor. Yeah. It reminded me of um, another um, piston last year. Do you, do you remember the Mason Plumley non-switch against Anthony Davis at the end of the, one of the playoff games in the bubble? I do not. This is not oh. ringing a bell for me. Yeah, he was brought in for defense, and he. Oh just, yes, yes, just, yes! On that three pointer. Yes, on the three pointer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that's what it reminded me of. Um, there's a lot of miscommunication going on, which you would expect to get better. I I think, um, just because the the team is so new to each other, um, there's there's a lot of though just just straight up whiffs. It's not all Blake. Um, there, I, I don't know if I put a lot of the whiffs in there, but you see Derek Rose make some pretty bad whiffs on um, drives, but, but, but some of it too is just on the way that they're playing and schematically um, to, to address Blake or, or other mobility issues. Yeah. And, and you did point this out in the piece in some of your uh, videos Uh, and I've noticed this as well. There's just been some really poor communication in the pick and roll defense Either there's been like untimely traps or the big is showing for far too long and one of them is not recovering to like the role or the pop man. And that's just led to these defensive breakdowns where eventually one pass, two pass, three pass, wide open, three-pointer. And we've seen that happen a lot. I've seen it happen for Mason Plumlee specifically. Um, Just I don't have it like written down how many times, but when it does happen, maybe because he's such a big body, you notice it. It's like, well, what is Blake or what is Mason Plumlee doing near – beyond the three-point line right now uh, when, you know, Jackson is also out there. So, you know, that might just be a communication thing between both of those guys, but I have noticed, you know, specifically in the pick and roll that uh, that has led to um, breakdowns as the as the possession continues and as the passes continue and then just leads to a wide-open three. So um, certainly something that you had pointed out in that article as well. Yeah, and, and we should know, you know, it's not – it's not something that's that's fatal necessarily. Um, and the three point per shooting percentage, you know, it, it's it's not great right now. Um, I'm pulling it up, but they're the Pistons are are eighth in opponent three point shooting, um, and the, everything is just so in rhythm though that you know I I, I like to look at in rhythm shots um, more than you know how open is somebody um, because. In today's game, 
you know, a contest isn't what a contest was even like five years ago. Right. You know, if you're two feet from a guy and you kind of, even if you have your hand in his face, like it's not necessarily, you know, going to affect the shot all that much. Um, so, so who's in rhythm, who's not, and, and how's it affecting the rest of the defense? Um, you look at like last year, Milwaukee, Houston, I'm sure, sorry, Milwaukee, Miami, and Toronto were, were the, the, the worst teams in terms of allowing three-point attempts by a percentage of shots. And those defenses were obviously great. Um, so there is kind of a movement. The Pelicans are doing it this year of, of allowing more three-pointers and just blocking off the paint. But that's not what the Pistons are doing. I, I think that's that's pretty clear. And then you look at some of those teams as well, and then you say, who are their rim protectors? Oh, Giannis and Brooke Lopez. Oh, Bam Adebayo. Um, and then Toronto, you know, you had uh, Pascal – oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, Pascal Siakam, I guess, but also Marcus Saul and um, Serge Ibaka, Ibaka. still yeah. a really good rim protector. And then you look at the Pistons' uh, front court. Uh, you know, Isaiah Stewart might be the best one of all of those guys, and he's a rookie right now. So, you know, they don't have the personnel to necessarily play like that. So you really do have to hope that this three-point defense comes together a little bit. Um just because I mentioned it earlier with this uh um with the Milwaukee Bucks and how do- dominating they look. And partially because of that is is they just seem to be dropping bombs on us all game long. It doesn't seem like they can miss any threes and um that has a lot to do not just with how quality of a team Milwaukee is, but also just these breakdowns. And I think you do a really, really good job of pointing out different avenues in which the Pistons break down um, on those three-point attempts. And I'm sure Dwayne Casey has these same clips printed out or, you know, ready to roll uh, when it comes to just correcting things for these guys to be a little bit more successful in defending the line moving forward. Yeah, and I'll I'll tell you one of the things I noticed against um, Milwaukee that I didn't touch in the piece was they did the Pistons did just a terrible job defending Brooke Lopez as like a trailer in transition and semi transition because Brooke Lopez is one of those weird guys who he he doesn't despite being a big man he doesn't sit in the corner a lot like I think he probably made a couple um, corner threes in in the the stretch of games we we played Milwaukee but. He loves he loves shooting from the the top of the key, like like really just dead on threes. And he was getting so many of those just in just transition, uh, or or not even in transition, but when he's just trailing the play. And the Pistons just were not even coming close to to contesting those shots. Yeah, and uh, they got lucky on a couple of those because he did miss a couple of them, and he had some really clean looks. And it's a little strange. Like this is the biggest man on the floor, whoever our biggest guy on the floor, you should probably put a body on him. You don't need to go running right towards the rim and to collect a rebound. If you have a, you know, a Brooke Lopez, who is a really good three point shooter trailing the play, she should probably just stick to him. Um, so, yeah, but um, so let's move on then. Or do you have anything else, I guess on that? Do you have any sort of remedies, I guess, when it comes to what the Pistons should be doing moving forward? Uh, you know, I, I, at the end, I just kind of briefly touched on a couple Um you know, I, the, the zone defense helps, but, you know, we, we saw Utah attack the zone pretty easily. Um, you know, you can try to hide Blake Griffin, but there's only so much you can do because you can just have an off-ball screen. Um, 
they're going to have to find a way to help Blake um, or just go to a lot of zone with him and um, hope it works. And if not, try to come up with new solutions. Um, you know, that's why Dwayne Casey makes the kind of money he does. Um, so it's, it's something I'll, I'll definitely keep, keep my eye on moving forward. Um, I, I know you also just had a piece come out, I, I believe today. Um, and I know it's going to be a regular kind of a regular series on, um, you know, the Pistons, um, it, it's, it's late, it's, it's titled tank commander, I guess. Um, the, the Pistons kind of tank watch. Um, you want to tell the people what you're, what you're looking at and, um, you know, kind of what your, what your first piece was, was about a little bit. Yeah. Well, thank you, Sean Corp for the uh, tank commander title there. I actually like it, but, um, yeah. So I guess this is kind of like, it just reminds me of when I was tracking the Pistons in their pursuit of making the playoffs. I was like consistently on 538 looking at playoff odds back when Detroit used to fight for the playoffs. This is the opposite of that. This is strictly looking at where the Pistons stand from a tanking, rebuilding, retooling perspective. Um, and then uh, then looking around the rest of the league and just sort of deciding you know, who's going to be joining us in the bottom of the basement and then also who you know who's currently in the bottom of the basement that might be moving out of it so right now Detroit is sitting pretty you know when it comes if for anyone who's a fan of the tank and um, you know possibly getting a, a top one to five pick next year um, you know two and nine worst team in the league they have a tough upcoming schedule um, so yeah, this article really just takes a look at where we stand, where our fellow basement dwellers stand and what the, their schedules look like moving forward. So Detroit, you know, they have a tough schedule coming up. Like I said, they got to go against the Miami Heat a couple times. They have the Philadelphia 76ers a couple times. They got the Lakers coming up. So it doesn't necessarily seem like the Pistons have, um, you know, that they're going to be stringing together some wins. There were a couple teams that I wanted just to bring up to you, Matt, real quick um, that surprised me that are in there right now. I guess the first one being the Toronto Raptors. They're two and eight. So they are the second worst team in the NBA. Do you see them climbing out of the the basement and, and getting back into that sort of playoff contention? Or do you think that this is sort of that, oh, no, like this is this is finally the end of the, of this like Raptors run that we've seen over the past over half a decade. So I, I think it's a little of both. I don't think the Raptors are going to be what they were. Um, I think they, they definitely miss um, Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol. Um, you know, Aaron Baines is a, is a very good center. Um, we, you know, I think loved him when he was, when he was in Detroit but he he's not those guys. He he can't protect the rim like Serge Ibaka. He's not as a fluid fluid a, a member of the offense as him. Um, so they're going to take a step back. But you know Pascal, Pascal Siakam has not played well. He'll 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 get it together. You know maybe he won't make the leap that you know Toronto fans hoped for. But I I, I do think they're a playoff team. Um, but it's you know the East is a lot tougher this year. Um, so you know they could be a a playing tournament um, candidate if if they don't turn it around fast. Yeah, what I sort of chalked it up to with them, and this is I didn't chalk it up to this, but um, well, one thing to note is that they are playing in Tampa, 
So they're the only team that's not playing out of their normal market. I don't necessarily know how much that affects them from a game in game out perspective, but at the same time, it, it can't be good. So I'm sure that that has some sort of like emotional strain on them for sure. Um, another thing that, that I noted is they're just too battle tested to be a bottom five team in the NBA. There's just no way that they're going to remain this bad unless they do some sort of trade where they move Kyle Lowry. I don't see that happening, but there has been some rumblings about that, at least through the NBA Twitter sphere. Um, so there's something that, that you'll definitely have to monitor. But um, just in general, I think they are too good of a team and they'll start to figure it out. And and their numbers, frankly, don't even support that they're a second worst team in the league. So they probably have had some uh, some unlucky breaks over their last two games. They lost both of those games by a combined total of two points. So they've had some bad beats. Um, I just don't expect them to remain down there uh, for much longer. But another team I do want to bring up real quick. So the Washington Wizards. I mentioned this, that the time to panic is now for Washington. Um, they, they did the Russell Westbrook uh, trade, moved John Wall. Bradley Beal is averaging 35 points, five rebounds, and five assists per game. And the Wizards are three and eight. So I think there's a real chance that Bradley Beal is the next sort of superstar level player that's going to be moved here. And if that's the case, I would definitely expect the Wizards to be sort of right there with Detroit for worst team in the league moving forward. What are your thoughts on that, Matt? Um, if that happens, I would definitely agree. I'm, I, I thought it was going to happen. Um, but now after the Russell Westbrook trade, I, I, I think it has to be more unlikely that they, they trade Beal. Wouldn't you, I, do you disagree with that? Well, Russell Westbrook's about to miss like the next three to five weeks or something like that. Um, he has some sort of injury that I don't know how to pronounce. Um, so that I just think that they might be, they might bury themselves so far deeply that they might not be uh, just bury themselves a hole that they can't get out of. Um, I think it might come to that point where they're like, okay, we're not going to be able to do it this season. Bradley Beal might become a little bit more frustrated. And if that becomes the case, and I think there will be the bids for Bradley Beal would be insane. I think they do take a real hard look at possibly moving him possibly to a team like the Philadelphia 76ers, maybe for Ben Simmons. I don't know. But um, I could see them definitely really just looking at what they got going on, especially if this thing doesn't seem to turn around quickly because it's going to need to. You mentioned it. The East is better. Yeah, that that could be true. Um, and you know, we we should also note that you know Thomas Bryant's out for the year now. That um, too. That, that that hurts him a lot um, as well. They're 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 a pretty bad team. I don't know. I'm I'm interested to see more games without Russell Westbrook. Um, just I'm just not a Russell Westbrook fan. Um, and and I think. You, you put the ball in Bradley Beal's hands a little more and see what, what can happen. And you kind of go from there. So if they do trade him, it's, it's definitely grim for them. I, at that point, I, I honestly think they're, they're quite a bit worse than the Pistons. Yeah. You might be right about that, but um, you know, top three teams or three worst teams in the league have the same lottery odds. So um, probably something that I will be noting in the series moving forward. But um, all right, so let's just talk about one last topic. I don't want to spend too long on it. 
Um, but we, we really do have to address it. It's affecting the Pistons by proxy, essentially, right now. Um, the COVID-19 outbreaks that are happening throughout the NBA. Uh, the Pistons are not going to be playing their game on Friday night, um, which is probably when you'll be listening to this episode on Friday, um, because the Wizards are don't have enough players to suit up. So, you know, there's been a lot of cancellations. Uh, so not cancellations, but postponements so far this season. Um, multiple players have tested positive for a second time per ESPN. Um, the NBA has tightened up their protocols. Um, we saw over the weekend, the Sixers played a game with seven players. So things are starting to like, look like the upside down, uh, right now in, uh, in the NBA, I guess, what are your thoughts right now with everything going on, Matt, from, you know, like a, a current perspective and then sort of like a long-term trajectory with, with COVID and the NBA and, and these games and all that stuff. Sure. So I, I think the, the, the short-term perspective is that, you know, the protocols to some degree are, are working, I think actually, which may seem counterintuitive, but you know, guys, guys are going to do what they're going to do outside the game. Um, you're not going to be able to keep guys locked up. You, you just not, I know they're going to try, um, but they're not going to do it. Um, you know, especially the young guys who don't have families. It's, it's just, we, we've seen that throughout the country. Right. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I like what they're doing with the contact tracing. Um, I think that's smart, you know, from a broader perspective, um, you know, we saw these early season struggles with, the major league baseball and the NFL, I was a firm believer that they should kind of shut down. Um, and they, they managed through, you know, it wasn't perfect, but, um, they, they did a pretty good job in the, in the end. Um, I I think people are going to be too quick to look at every individual positive test. Um, you know, my big question is, you know, the NBA certainly has a responsibility to its players to keep them health, healthy, keep them safety safe, excuse me, as, as best they can. And the big question should be, and, and this was something I was talking about when people were criticizing the idea of the bubble is, you know, which are, are they going to be worse off in the NBA's situation? You know, if, if they're not going to be worse off in the NBA situation, I don't know that there's any real harm in doing what they're doing. Um, you know, I, I, I do think that you should allow guys to, to opt out and you should have some sort of plan in place for that, um, to, to compensate them to some degree. Um, but that's obviously something that needs to be collectively bargained. But, you know, if, if, if the, their safety is not being jeopardized, um, any more than it would be, you know, if they were just living their life without the NBA, um, and living like, like you and I do then I, I, I don't know that um, I don't know that there's a huge, huge harm in it. And, and I think that, um, you know, some of the takes are, are a bit reactionary for me. I, I know that might be an unpopular opinion, but that's, I, I, that's just where I've, I've, I, I kind of fall these days. Well, what are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I guess for me where I do agree that there's uh there is a certain level of safety and that is provided by the NBA just in general, when it comes to the amount of testing, the amount of people that they're consistently surrounded by who have also 
assume, you know, have tested negative as well. Um, so there is uh, definitely a, a sort of mini bubble there just in general from like a, 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 sm- a team by team perspective for sure. Um, I guess my biggest question will be, and I, I think you're right too about this, that yes, there was, there was going to be uh, a lot of reactions once these tests started to come back positive, but there was also a reality that the NBA knew that there was going to be positive tests to begin with. So yeah, of course there was going to be positive tests. You guys have guys traveling, you have guys in planes, you have them in hotels. They're not always going to be staying uh, locked in their hotels and uh, then they're going to play games. So there, there is definitely that inherent risk there for sure. Um, but they knew that this was going to happen. I guess what I am most curious about is what will it look like down the road, say, become the playoffs, especially like the later series in the playoffs. I could really see the NBA doing sort of like a mini regional bubble type of situation um, come the playoffs because they really don't want to find themselves in a situation where – all of a sudden, uh, LeBron James or uh, you know Kevin Durant has to miss two weeks uh, because of a COVID test. Um, so I really want to see how they monitor it moving forward. And there's a reason why if you go to NBA.com and you go to like April and May, there are no games scheduled right now because they have this in place because they know that there's going to have to be makeup games. They're going to have to monitor the situation. So it does seem like It is a moving target, but the NBA understands that at the very least. So that's what I'm most interested in because I do think they are going to go full steam ahead for the regular season. I'm just hopeful that they're able to figure something out to keep the quality of basketball as good and as, uh, you know, as we should expect when it comes to playoff basketball come the playoffs. So that's where my head is at, just kind of thinking long term. Yeah. um, You know, when I – with with the schedule being open for the second half of the year, you know maybe they just say, "Hey, we're just going to do this regional bubble to end the year to to keep people as as safe as possible." Um, you know that's this is why they did it the way they they did it. Um, but I do think there should be some soul searching and some looking at, "Hey, are are these guys you know actually um, are we putting them at some more risk?" Um, you know, it's it's definitely something that the NBA needs to address, and I, I do think they need to be a little more public about what is what is going on because there's obviously um, concerns from from a lot of people about about what's happening. Yeah, and some of the protocols seem just a little strange. Like they said, you can't go dap up the opposing team after the game is over. Um, but I literally saw the Pistons do that last night. So I don't think they're necessarily even enforcing some of their new protocols that they just put into place. But um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, I'm hopeful that they're able to figure it out and hopeful that they're going to be able to keep these players as safe as possible because I think there is a possible reality out there to where they do shut down the season if things really get out of hand. So, um, you know, just for the sake of the players for the sake of just the the league in general, I'm hopeful that they they can avoid that just by somehow tightening this up. I don't necessarily know how you do that, and um, you know I don't get paid to to know how you do that. So uh, I'm I'm just uh, here on the other end. But uh, yeah, Matt, I don't really have anything else. You got anything else for the peeps? No, I I, I don't think so. Um, we're not gonna we're gonna we're gonna miss a Pistons game, but um, you know we'll have. Uh... 
I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about uh, next time you, you hear from us. Yeah, so it looks like Pistons next game Saturday on against the Heat. They got a Monday game against the Heat, Wednesday against the Hawks. So you'll probably hear about us after that Hawks game. Hopefully we'll be able to get all three of these games in. But uh, for now, I am David Fernandez, writer over at Detroit Bad Boys, joined by Matt Way, fellow writer at Detroit Bad Boys. And you can follow Inside the Cylinder on Twitter at Inside the Y-L-N-D-R, and all new episodes are on the Detroit Bad Boys podcast stream, and all new episodes are on the site as well. So keep an eye out for those. All right, peace.